Welcome to the 5-Minute Bible Study Podcast. This ain't your grandma's podcast. Hey, uh, it's Aaron Batty here, your host on the 5-Minute Bible Study Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you, as always, by 5MinuteBibleStudy.com. The promo for this week is the book, The Christian and Alcohol. Go on to 5MinuteBibleStudy.com and check out the ad for this new book that you can buy just for $5 a copy. That's pretty cheap. I'm honestly selling it at cost. I'm not making any profit on this. $5, not including shipping, The Christian and Alcohol, written by myself, Aaron Batty, and Trevor Calvert, a good Christian brother of mine that helped me in the publication of this book, or at least in the writing of it. Uh, this is a self-published work on why Christians should not drink alcohol socially for no other reason than as medicine. This is not a popular position, but I do believe this is the Bible's position on the subject. If you're interested in learning why I say that, because uh, depending on how you're raised, you may not agree with that. And you may think, how in the world would you get to that conclusion? Well, then you need to pick up your copy of The Christian Alcohol Today. Again, go to the website. You can just email me directly at ambattey at yahoo.com. That's ambatty at yahoo.com and, pre- and order your copy today. This book just came out in the last month. I've been spending a lot of time on it. And I think it will be a good resource for anybody who's researching this subject. So uh, that's our promo for this week. Getting into this week's episode, I got some fun stuff planned. I got probably what will be a little bit longer than normal Bible story about Esther. I mean, it's just kind of a longer Bible story. I'm going to try to make it a little brief, more than I might if I were doing like a a YouTube video. Sometimes I'll do Bible story nights on YouTube. If you don't know about those, go check them out. After the story about Esther, we're going to have the main dish, and this week, a very special segment of the main dish, the first guest segment with Chance Dyer. Chance Dyer is a good friend of mine. Some of you all know Chance. I, I have a feeling some of you don't. But anyways, Chance has a very unique background that's very different from mine. And he's going to help shed some light on the subject of the Christian and his or her relationship to alcohol. Chance has, again, a unique perspective on this. So it's going to be a very interesting segment on this as we answer the question, is it a sin for Christians to drink alcohol? If you couldn't tell, there is a close connection between this and the book that I promoted at the beginning of this episode, so they will go hand in hand. Also, I'm going to finish off with a foot and mouth syndrome piece, and you'll get to hear about the time that I embarrassed myself when I mocked the southern drawl of the people at the church, uh, at a church that I preached at earlier this year, and they did not laugh. So that will be the ending segment for this episode. So without any further ado, let's get in to Bible stories. And that donkey got up not too far away from that angel of the Lord. Send me a man to fight with me. So, let me tell you a story that will prove to you that I can defeat that giant. And he said, no, I can't do that. You're my master's wife. This week, we're going to tell the story of Esther. For all you girls, women, ladies out there, this is for you guys. There's only two books in the Bible that are about women, Ruth and Esther, and this is one of them. I would say this is the more interesting of the two books. They're both very interesting, really. Um, but this one's just got some really cool plot lines to it. Uh, just a great story. So let's get into it. Long time ago, Israel was under Persian rule. They had been captured by the Babylonians, 
who had then been captured by the Medes and the Persians, and that's where we find the story of Esther. King Ahasuerus was the king of Persia at the time. He really wasn't a good guy, honestly. In the very part, first beginnings of this story, he had a banquet, and his wife was the Queen Vashti. And he had a drunken banquet, a drunken feast, and he got his buddies all drunk on beer, whatever. They didn't have beer, I'm sure it was more like wine. And um, they got all caroused, and, and then he called upstairs and he said, Oh, honey. And she said, What do you want? <laughs> and he said, Come on down here. I want to show you to the guys. And she was a dignified woman who was modest and would not flaunt herself for the pleasure of men's eyes. And she said, I will not. I will not. And he got angry. And he yelled at her, come on down. I want the guys to see you. No, I will not. <laughs> and so, long story short, he removed the crown from Queen Vashti's head and dethroned her from being queen. So that's why I said this guy, he's really got a temper problem. <laughs> Not a great guy. But anyways, the time came for King Ahasuerus to choose a new queen. And so he told all the women in the land, well, basically he told his servants to find all the most beautiful women in the land and get them ready to appear before him so that he might have his pick, basically. <laughs> and so uh, Esther was a Jewish young lady. I don't know how old she was. The Bible doesn't say. And uh, Mordecai was her uncle. And uh, Mordecai made sure that Esther was, was uh, included in this search for a woman for the king. Anyways, long story short, when you read the book of Esther, she prepared. The Bible says she, she and the other ladies prepared themselves for a whole year. Now, that may be exaggerating. I don't know. But anyways, they spent a long time preparing for the king. And when King Ahasuerus saw Esther, he saw how beautiful she was, and he chose her as the queen. Now, we're skipping quite a bit, but he chose Esther as the queen. And uh, I already introduced her uncle Mordecai, who was a very good man, a Jew. And there is a little insert into this story. One day, and this involves Mordecai, one day there were two men that had come up with a scheme to kill, to assassinate King Ahasuerus. And Mordecai found out about it. And Mordecai, being the uncle of Esther, went to Esther, told her the secret, and said, please tell the king to keep him safe. So she went and told the king in the name of Mordecai, her uncle, and he was saved from this assassination attempt. This will play a part later in the story. So it's just kind of an insert, but we're going to come back to it. Going on down the road. Uh, in the life of Esther, there and a king Ahasuerus, King Ahasuerus would choose different governors and different princes to rule over the land. Well, he chose one man who became prominent among the ranks of his servants, Haman. And Haman, the Agagite, became the king's right-hand man. Well, uh, King, or not King Haman, but King Ahasuerus put Haman in charge, and Haman came up with an idea. He came up with an idea that he looked out across the way and uh, he, he told all the subjects beneath him to basically bow down and pay him honor and homage, basically worship him. And everybody did it because everybody was scared of him and he had so much power he had accrued from the king. 
But Mordecai, being the man of God that he was, would not bow down to Haman. It's very similar to the story of Daniel, which we told in the first episode. So like that, uh, Mordecai would not bow down and worship a man. He would only worship the God of heaven, the God of the Jews. And Haman took this personal. Ooh, he was upset. And he thought of all the ways that he could get back at Mordecai because he was so mad that he wouldn't bow down to him. So he came up with a plan. Much like those governors came up with a plan to get Daniel thrown into the lion's den, Haman came up with a plan and he presented it to King Ahasuerus. And he told King Ahasuerus, there are people, there is a large people in this land who do not follow the king's decrees and the king's laws. And there are the Jews. And if you will give me the money and the means necessary to destroy this people, I will get this people destroyed for not obeying the king's decrees. Again, King Ahasuerus was not the best dude. And so he goes ahead and says, okay, go ahead, do whichever you gotta do. Here's some money, do it. Well, this decree goes out across the land that anybody who is of a Jew Old, young, child, woman, or man will be destroyed. Uh, I believe it was in, it was like in a month or so. And, and so this decree went across the land, and the words came to Mordecai. Oh, he tore his clothes. He was so upset. Oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do for the people of God? It was really a a battle for keeping the people of God alive. And so Mordecai goes to the gates of the king's palace and he sends word to Esther through her servants that there's been this plot to destroy the Jewish people. Now, uh, by the way, King Ahasuerus did not realize that Esther was a Jew. Uh, Esther had kept that under wraps all this time. Okay, back to the story. Anyway, Mordecai sends word and Esther's upset. And Mordecai tells Esther that you have to go and appear before the king and reveal this plot to him. But Esther says, but Uncle Mordecai, if I go in there, he'll kill me. At least it's a possibility because no one goes into the king's court unannounced. And Mordecai says to Esther, one of the most famous quotations in all the Bible, if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you've come into the kingdom for such a time as this. And that that got Esther's blood moving, and she decided, I'm going to do it. And so she took her life in her hands to go into the king's court unannounced. And she opens the door. King Ahasuerus on his throne and she tiptoes inside and what do you know King Ahasuerus not King Esther but King Ahasuerus raises his scepter and instead of striking her with it he tells her what do you want my dear that's not exactly the quote but anyways he is not mad he is not going to have Queen Esther killed he is happy to see her and so he says what would you like, Queen Esther? And so she tells the king, King Esther, I have a, or King Ahasuerus, sorry, I, I have a banquet that I'm having tomorrow night, and I would like you uh, and, and Haman, your second in command, to come and join me at my banquet. 
And so he says, very well. And so they come to the banquet, and then uh, they come to Queen Esther, both of them together. And uh, King Ahasuerus says, what is it that you wanted us here for tonight? She says, "Uh, please come back for tomorrow's banquet as well, and then I'll tell you my request. And he says, okay. So they come back tomorrow night. And Haman, uh, in the meantime, before the two banquets, or in between the two banquets, he goes out and he's so happy. Uh, He's so happy that the queen and the king have smiled upon him so much. And he goes to his children, but as he's walking out of the banquet, there he sees Mordecai. And all he can do is think about Mordecai and how Mordecai will not bow down to him. And he hates Mordecai. And all he wants to do is have him killed. And he goes to his family and he's, he's just grieved over Mordecai, how he's still alive. And his family, his wife Zeresh, and all his friends tell him, you should make some gallows, 50 cubits high. And in the morning, suggest to the king that Mordecai be hanged on the gallows. And so Haman thinks that's a great idea. So they go out there and they make the gallows. And they're building these gallows, and finally they're done. So that night, he goes with King Ahasuerus to the banquet that Esther has prepared. Uh, Now, that night before the banquet, not only did Haman go and make gallows, but King Ahasuerus could not sleep. King Ahasuerus was tossing and turning, and then he finally got up and he said, Somebody bring me the records of the chronicles of the kings of Persia. And so they did. And as they're reading to it, you know what story they heard, or uh, King Ahasuerus was read to him? It was that story about how Mordecai had spared the king from an assassination plot. And so as he's reading this, King Ahasuerus' head pops up, and he's like, Whoa, somebody saved my life? What's been done for this man to honor him? And the people look, and they said, Hmm, Mordecai, nothing's been done to honor this man. And King Ahasuerus says, We have to do something. Call in Haman. And Haman says, uh, yes, Lord, what, what would you wish? And King Ahasuerus says, what should we do with the, uh, with the man to, for whom the king wants to honor? And Haman proposes he should be given a, a royal robe and a horse brought, and he should be ridden around the, the palace for all to see. But Haman didn't realize that the person that the king wanted to honor was Mordecai, or he never would have said that. And so then the king says to Haman, hurry, get a robe, get a horse, and go get Mordecai and parade him around the city to honor him in front of all the people. Mordecai is mortified, or rather Haman is mortified, and he goes out just covering his head. He's so embarrassed that he has to lead Mordecai around on a horse. Oh, it's just killing him. And when it's over with, he goes and puts ashes on his head and is weeping with his family. Well, then Haman goes to the banquet. And there's Queen Esther. And there's King Ahasuerus. And there is Haman. And they come up to Esther and they said, Okay, Esther, we were here last night. What do you want us to do for you? What's your request? And with Haman standing there, Queen Esther tells King Ahasuerus, There has been a plot to destroy my people, my lord. A plot to destroy and annihilate my people. And King Ahasuerus says, What? Who would do this? Because he didn't realize she was a Jew. He did realize he gave Haman authority to kill all the Jews, but he didn't really understand why and all that. And he also didn't understand that Queen Esther was a Jew. He says, Who would do this? And Queen Esther says, It's him! 
the adversary, the enemy, the wicked Haman. And Haman's terrified before the king and queen. And he falls down. He's begging for mercy. But then King Ahasuerus says, take him and hang him on the gallows. Out there, there was these gallows that, remember, he had built him and his family to, to hang Mordecai on originally. But now they're being used to hang Haman on. And so the very gallows that were going to be used to kill the, the Uncle Mordecai are used to kill the wicked Haman. And so justice was brought. And then the king gave Esther the authority and Mordecai the authority to have all of their enemies killed. And that's really what happened. That's kind of the gist of the story. And so God's people continued to live not exactly happily ever after. Other things would happen, but they made it through this one. And God's people were preserved because the Messiah would come through those people. And it was important that God protected his people from those threats of annihilation. That's the story of Esther. Hope you enjoyed it. Come back next time for another five-minute Bible story. This episode is brought to you by Sunday Shades. Preachers are always preaching too long on Sunday morning. Don't you agree? Try Sunday Shades. Sunday Shades are glasses with eyeballs drawn on the outside of each lens so it appears that you're awake when you really aren't. And the best part is, they're custom made just for you. We have blue, hazel, and brown-eyed lenses. Whatever your eye color is, we got you covered. Would you prefer to look surprised, disgruntled, or thinking deeply about what the preacher just said? We can customize your fake eyes for whatever emotion you want to convey while you snooze away. Slip them on and snooze the sermon away with Sunday Shades. Now you don't have to tell people, I was just resting my eyes. Sunday Shades. Go to sundayshadesfakenews.com to start designing your Sunday Shades today. Welcome back to The Main Dish. Today I have a special episode for everybody. Chance Dyer. Some of you guys may know Chance. He is my first guest on the podcast. And he's going to talk to me about drinking. He's going to talk to you about drinking. As we do this, I am drinking coffee. He is drinking coffee. He's drinking iced coffee. Chance asked me one time what I thought about iced coffee. That's all he drinks. I asked him if he'd ever drunk out of a toilet bowl before. He said he had not, thankfully. That's what I think about it. So I sit over here drinking grow hair on your chest black coffee while he drinks this, uh, whatever you want to call it. But with that introduction, now I'll introduce to you Chance. <laughs> Tell everybody about yourself. I really appreciate the introduction of you pointing out how girly I like my coffee. But um, anyway, I'm Chance, and I've been going to Chapel Grove for about two years now, and I'm excited to be your first guest on your podcast, the 5-Minute Bible Study Podcast. So let's get to talking. Yeah, so we're actually going to talk about not drinking coffee, but we are going to talk about drinking and that specifically alcohol. Some of you, uh, this may be a topic of interest to you. If you have questions that you know come up from this discussion, then reach out at the podcast. Uh, reach me through the Facebook or Instagram page and shoot me a question or two. Shoot Chance a question, and maybe we can do a follow-up. But we'll see how this goes and see how you guys like it. So Chance, you and me, we've talked about this topic quite a bit on our own, just on phone calls and Bible studies and whatnot. Man, I feel like we haven't talked about anything else more than this topic, but you, you've had a lot of different perspective on this because me personally, I've never had an alcoholic drink in my entire life. Like I've had medicine that has some alcoholic content in it, you know, when I was sick, but literally I've never had a drink in my life. You, on the other hand, um, you weren't raised the same as I was exactly. And so you have a, a different, uh, a helpful perspective to people and Christians on this topic. 
Uh, share a little bit about that with everybody just to get us going here, if you would. Yeah, so this is definitely a topic that uh, hits home for me. I mean, I guess I've had a re- relationship with alcohol in some shape, form, or fashion for about about 10 years now. Um, I think I first started drinking when I was around 15 years old. And between that time and now, a lot has changed. That is definitely for sure. Um, I think the first... The very first night I went out and drank, um, I was at a party with a bunch of seniors, and I'm just going to say, I didn't drink just a little bit. I drank quite quite a lot of alcohol that night, um, and especially as somebody that had never never really drank much before, I was um, thoroughly inebriated, or trashed as some people would like to call it, but um, from there, I mean, I had a very long and intimate relationship with alcohol with its ups and downs. So, um, so you claim you've never had toilet water, but you may have had some that night. Oh, most definitely. I've, I've had things a lot worse than toilet water. I've never tasted toilet water, but drank some pretty bad things. So with that little springboard backstory, uh, kind of what has changed for you? Um, I guess to preface this, I baptized you, for the remission of your sins two years ago about, maybe just right at, I think about it, it was in October maybe, in 2019-ish. Uh, what's changed for you over the last 10 years and your perspective on alcohol, specifically as you know, since you become a Christian? Well, um, I guess the best way to go about it is just to kind of explain from the beginning. You know, from, from that story that I just previously described, you know, alcohol in movies and on TV, it's painted as this thing that makes you appear cool. And, um, for me, that was exactly what happened. You know, I showed back up at school on Monday and all the seniors were coming around high five me, telling me how awesome I was. And, you know, I was like, you know, I want to be the best at this. I was like, I want to be great. I was like, I want to be known for this. And so, you know, at the time when you're 15, you don't really realize, you know, what you're getting yourself into, but I, I became exactly that. I became that uh, the partier. I was the go-to guy every single weekend. People would hit me up constantly. And um, about the time that I actually hit my goal, I was thinking to myself one day, I realized, I was like, man, this is literally the stupidest thing that I've ever done in my entire life. You know, that was the only way that people saw me at that point. You know, people that didn't even know me. I know a lot of y'all have Snapchat, but everybody was just seeing that side of me from, from social media and stuff like that. They weren't, I felt like people, they would come up to me in public and they would talk to me like I was stupid when I saw them because all that they had seen me do was do stupid things when I was out drunk with my friends, you know, and there was a whole lot more to me and I just felt like people hadn't seen that. So, you know, once I actually started reading my Bible and learning more about God it was easy to see that there was a lot more to life and to my mission here on earth than just being the greatest partier of all time. And so obviously, you know, you didn't see anything wrong with drinking alcohol then, um, you know, morally speaking, tell me a little bit more about that and how that has shifted maybe since you got baptized or maybe even leading up to that. Yeah. So, you know, of course, even when I was in high school, I would have that occasional random person walk up to me and they'll be like, oh, 
chance you know you're going to hell for um because you've been out drinking and partying you know and i i didn't really even have any kind of response for them when they come to me and tell me those kind of things i would just kind of nod and a and agree and and move on but um it got to a point where I was going to those parties and being out and I was just like missing, like missing, missing something. I knew that this wasn't what I was put on earth to do. Well, I had some events occur in my life and that really sparked me into reading my Bible. And once I saw those things, it wasn't just the the drinking alcohol. I had realized that a lot of things that I thought that I knew about the Bible and about God turned out to be just people's opinions. And so from there, that kind of led me to where I am now. So what, you know, I think one of the questions that I wanted to ask you on this episode, and we might have other questions that come up, you know, besides this, but uh, in your reading your Bible, what are a couple of the passages for you specifically? You, you know, I, there might be passages for me that come to my mind on this topic that are not the same for you? What are the two passages or, or at least one passage or something that kind of comes to your mind when you think about this topic and why you as a Christian today do not drink alcohol? Well, Aaron, for me, I always thought, you know, the biggest thing that was justification for, for my drinking, at least recreationally, you know, maybe not getting drunk, was Jesus turning the water into wine at the wedding of Canaan. Yeah, I feel like that's that's one that I hear a lot. In fact, um, just as a little plug, I think I may have advertised this already on the podcast, but I just produced a book, uh, The Christian and Alcohol, and there's a whole chapter just on that John 2 scene, Jesus turned water to wine. So yeah, let's talk about that for just a little bit, and uh, that might even just kind of fill up the majority of our time here this in this episode. So John 2 is the passage. There's a lot, actually a lot to John 2, you know, that people just throw that out there, Jesus turned water to wine. And that's it. Uh, that's about all they know about the passage. Honestly, they probably don't even know that John 2 is where it's you know at in the Bible. So, uh, you know, you have read this passage a lot um, since you were drinking at 15 years old, and I've read this passage a lot. Um, kind of walk us through some of the things that you think people need to know, you know, when you open your Bible to John 2 and start reading. Well, I don't know if I would say that I've read the passage John 2 a lot because, you know, when I was using this argument against people— I had never even opened the Bible up really to look at it and read it. And so that's kind of what I'm what I'm going to reference here is like once I did actually open up my Bible and read it for myself, I kind of realized that maybe just going off what other people had told me wasn't necessarily right. You know, when I read that passage and I kind of looked looked at a couple things and figured out just how much wine Jesus actually made, it left me with some questions because I was like, if Jesus turned that much water into wine, that's like 10 kegs worth of wine in, t- in today's amount of alcohol. So, Yeah, so just to be precise, I mean, uh, 10 kegs of wine, think about a whole well of wine because what most people don't realize is that Jesus pulls out, I mean, after the people have already, the Bible says, gotten well drunk, he then tells the servants to pull out 180 gallons of water from this well. And then the next dip, what comes out is wine, indicating that Jesus turned not just 180 gallons of water to wine, but he turned an entire well of water 
into wine. Like so much, you could probably skunk the entire town, <laughs> you know, that wasn't even in attendance at this wedding. Uh, it's a lot more wine than what people are thinking. Yeah, I think my estimation of 10 kegs worth of wine is a, is a little bit lowball on that. Um, but yeah, so if Jesus was going to turn an entire well into wine, um, I think the question that that brought up to me was, I, I started watching videos and, and doing research, and I saw where the word wine in the Bible doesn't necessarily mean alcoholic wine. And that was something that until I had opened my Bible and started actually studying that I would have never realized. You know, I think people just assume that words today mean the exact same thing as they, they meant back in the Bible day. And I mean, that's not the only instance that we see that we see things like that. Once I once I looked that up and um, started figuring that out, I was like, well, that kind of makes a lot more sense than Jesus making an entire well of wine into alcoholic wine. I mean, because let's all be honest, if you're all out there obliterated and, and trashed, you're probably going to be a lot more likely to sin. And we, I think we, it's all safe to say that we can all agree that Jesus doesn't want us sinning, you know, so... I'm sure if anybody, if anyone knows, you know, how much trouble you can get in when you've been drinking, I, I'm, I'm sure that they'll agree that they're more likely to commit some type of sin when they're drunk rather than when they're sober. Yeah, absolutely. And on the point about, you know, when you say that the word wine in the Bible doesn't always refer to alcoholic wine, just to back up to that point, you know, people are going to be like, nah, dog, you, you're lying to me. Uh, and I don't, off the top of my head, I cannot remember exactly how many words there are in the Hebrew that are translated wine, but I'm thinking it's like 10. Again, refer back to my book, um, and it's listed in there. It's like 10 Hebrew words and I think three different Greek words. And a lot of times the word wine is translated and, and refers to raisin cakes and uh, actual grapes, you know, that have not been pressed or anything. And sometimes it's uh, referring to grape juice, and sometimes it is referring to alcohol. And uh, without getting any more detail into it, you know, again, read the book, read your Bible, <laughs> and also notice that whenever the Bible talks about wine in a positive light, you can take it to the bank, it's probably not talking about alcoholic wine. And whenever it talks about it in a negative light, it's probably talking about alcoholic wine, with a couple of different exceptions. So, putting it all together, when you consider how much wine Jesus created— and you realize that the word wine does not always refer to, in fact, a lot of the time does not refer to alcoholic wine, you realize Jesus, he wasn't changing, he wasn't feeding these people that much alcohol. In fact, he wasn't feeding people alcohol at all. He was feeding people what the Bible often calls grape juice, wine, wine slash grape juice, uh, same thing. And if you think that's far-fetched, Go read your Bible and look at all the places where the word wine is used, all the words behind it, and again, the contextual interpretation of how you distinguish between alcohol and grape juice. And the only conclusion is Jesus was creating grape juice. Um, one passage I do want to read to corroborate that is in the Old Testament. In Habakkuk 2 and 15, the Bible says, Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor, pressing him to your bottle even to make him drunk. And if Jesus, and he was living in the Old Testament, if he was doing what people are saying he was doing in this verse, then he was directly violating the prophet's words there and woe to Jesus for making his brother drunk. So yeah, it couldn't have been alcoholic wine, and Jesus did not produce that much alcoholic wine. 
So we've got that settled, I think. There was one more thing in this chapter that you brought up in personal Bible study, and again, it, it frequently comes up. Talk about that real quick. Yeah, so a sticking point for me is um, what the the master of the party, is that what he's called? He, uh, he was saying that they were well drunk, and that was something that kind of threw me off for a little bit. Yeah, but, you know, when we think of that word drunk in our English, we typically use in the context of that person was drunk, like they were sauced, they were skunked, they were, what's another word for it? They were smashed, hammered, uh, you get the idea. But that word is just the past tense of to drink, you know, and it can just mean to, you know, the, the people at the party were well satiated, would be a, a proper term, or they were well filled. That doesn't mean that they were inebriated or that they were intoxicated. It just means that they had plenty of a drink, whatever that drink was. In this case, we've established it must have been non-alcoholic wine. It must have been grape juice. Well, they had plenty of it. And just think about any time that you've drunk a lot of Coke or you've drunk a lot of milk, particularly a heavy drink like that. You don't, you know, you get full on it. And so these people, the fee says, you know, they're well drunk. And now you've brought out the best wine or the best grape juice. Uh, as he turns this well into wine. And so there is absolutely no need to, to think that the, the feast, the, the master of the feast is saying, look, these guys are smashed, and now you're bringing out the good stuff. Woo! <laughs> you know, uh, this, this does not meet the character of Jesus to have done this, right? I mean, any extra thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think it's safe to say that most people would agree. No one argues that Jesus wasn't, perfect you know it says jesus was without sin and so we already read in habakkuk that if he would have turned an entire well into wine alcoholic wine and these people had already been well drunk he was wanting them to get completely obliterated i mean they're blackout at this point for sure so um i think another another the next thing that i went to think of was what about like recreational drinking like uh drinking parties and then I went to, was it First Peter 4 and 3? You want to read that passage real quick? Yeah, First Peter 4, verses 3 through 4 in the New King James Version says, For we spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. Yeah. So this Bible verse definitely hit me where it hurt because um, drinking parties was a pretty frequent occasion for me. I mean, so much so that it was basically every single weekend at, for a couple for several years of my life. And so <clears throat> I think it's pretty clear to hear at this passage to tell that, you know, drinking parties, recreationally drinking probably isn't okay either. You know, it's not just about getting completely obliterated drunk that Jesus is not okay with. Maybe he's he doesn't like drinking parties either, you know. And I think, you know, people don't see me out really anymore. And they might assume, you know, it's kind of a thing of like, I think that I'm better than them. But for me, it's more so just trying to trying to stay away from all those things that that I used to do because I was at I was that guy that was at those drinking parties and everything else. And you know, since I became a Christian, you know, I knew that that meant I had to walk with newness of life and that I was a completely new creation. And so a lot of my habits changed from that point. A lot of the things that I did. 
And I'll just say something here. I'll plug for, you know, those of you that are listening to this podcast that, you know, you're more like me. You were raised, you didn't drink alcohol. Uh, your parents told you not to drink alcohol, not to go to drinking parties and all that. Well, I just, uh, be honest moment here, you know, in college, I've been to a couple of places where it was a drinking party. You know, they might have called it a Christmas party or something else, but it was a drinking party. I mean, that's what they were doing. That's all it was centered on. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to go and hang out, be with friends, and I'm not going to drink. So I did that. And they, you know, pressured me to, hey, Aaron, you know, just have a drink, you know, play some beer pong or something. No, I ain't going to do it. And I didn't drink, but I was still in this environment, you know, this drinking party environment that I should not have been in. And I felt guilty about it, you know, because there's nothing good going on there. I mean, there was absolutely nothing good. Uh, Even, you know, flirtatiousness going on that could have led places that, you know, just the whole scene, what Peter's saying here, drunkenness, revelries, drinking party, any type of these environments that involve alcohol, uh, it's not a place where a Christian needs to be in. In fact, he says in the, he talks about them. They think it's strange that you don't run with them in the same things. He's talking about non-Christians. Peter's saying, you guys remember before you became Christians, these guys think that it's strange that you don't do that stuff anymore, indicating that you used to do it, but you're a Christian now. And so you don't do it. And he lists all these different types of drinking, again, drunkenness, revelries, and drinking parties, to basically say the whole liquor cabinet, yeah, any type of drinking that you're doing, that's that's back then. Now is now. Follow Christ. Yeah, and so for me, um, <clears throat> even after I became a Christian, you know, I was kind of in the same position that you were. I had been out a couple places, and I wasn't— um, necessarily drinking when I went out to those places anymore, but it's definitely a lot more of a temptation since that was somewhere that I'd already been. And so ultimately I kind of had to remove myself from those situations and it wasn't anything against any of my friends or the people that I used to hang out with. It was just part of the process for me of getting better and staying away from, from those temptations. I know what you're talking about. I mean, not completely, not like you've experienced, but you know, I, I get, you tell people that you don't drink or anything like that. Y'all are going out to go party. No, I don't, I'm not going to do that. And they think that you don't like them. It's, you know, it's not like a personal thing. It's not like I don't like you and I don't want to hang out with you, but just people can't, they can't distinguish, you know, you're not willing to do certain things from not liking them. You know, if, if that makes sense, would you agree? Yeah. And that was definitely something that was that was pretty hard hard for me um, to get through was because people thought that that I didn't love them and that I didn't care about them because you know I'm sure for them it was super strange because at one point I was probably the biggest advocate for alcohol that there could be I mean I was thinking about going and trying to be a representative for natural light at one point I mean if I'm being completely honest I mean my relationship with alcohol was great. And so I'm sure for a lot of people, it just went night and day. But for me, I mean, once I read the gospel and, and understood what I needed to understand in order in order to start my walk with Jesus, I mean, that's, that's what it was. It was a complete 180 degree turnaround. It wasn't just the drinking. It was a lot of things that I had participated in for my whole life, you know. And so... Man, I lo- and I think that's the biggest thing, Aaron, is that people think that, you know, I don't like them anymore or that I don't love them. And the, the fact of the matter is, is that if anything, I love them now more than I ever have. I mean, there was a lot of nights where I looked a whole lot of parents in the face, you know, because anytime you're going, going out somewhere, you know, parents are always going to tell you like, hey, 
you know, take care, take care of my boy or whatever, you know, and I, I was set, said I would, well, you know, it's hard to take care of somebody when you're drunk, passed out in the back seat of their car and, you know, they've been drinking and they're driving you home. So, you know, I would, I'll, I'll fully admit, you know, I wasn't, I was definitely not the greatest friend. I, and I did, I let a lot of people down. So, you know, it was just, I was, man, and I was selfish, you know, um, there's one specific event that I, that I remember, um, my mom wanted to get family, family pictures taken. And, uh, the night before was a big, a big Halloween bash that I, that I went to every single year. You know, my mom let me know several days ahead of time, you know, that this was, that this was happening. Well, you know, it turns out that I, that I ended up missing, missing those pictures. And, um, you know, so every time that I, that I head over to my mom's house, you know, there's, there's family pictures and I'm, I'm not there, you know, and it's, it was just a lot of, for me, it was a lot of moments like that. Like it, that wasn't just a one-time thing. It was a, a frequent, a frequent thing. It, you know, cause I just wasn't thinking about, you know, anything else. All I was worried about at the time was having fun. And, you know, I finally realized there's a lot more to life than that. Just having fun. I think, you know, a lot of people get caught up in that and they see that in movies, but man, you know, that's such a surface level way of living. You know, you got a lot to live for. That's all, I think, just great stuff. You know, great stuff. You know, we're coming down to the close of this episode and uh, just kind of trying to wrap up here a little bit. Basically, you, you brought up John 2. That was one of the main passages that you'd always appeal to, maybe if you didn't even know where it was. Uh, we talked about First Peter 4 and 3, not being involved in drinking parties anymore. And um, if you could just give people, you know, Focusing on your change as a Christian from this past life that you used to live, what are some of the scriptural keynote passages or, or points that that you'd like to leave people with that just you know they, these passages really change your life and the way that you look at things? So I think Romans twelve one and two is a big one for me. If you want to read that, okay, it says there, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Yeah, and I'm not by any means a great theologian or any or even a Bible student at this point. I think I've I've made it all the way through my Bible once, and I'm I'm working my way back through it. But after I read the Gospels and just understood how much love that Jesus had for me, and what He was willing to sacrifice for me, it kind of turned into a thing of you know, if Jesus loved me this much and I'm to be like Jesus, I don't really have very much to offer to him. So what can I offer? I can offer him my life as a living sacrifice. And I mean, for me, that means doing everything in my power. And I just knew that while I was drinking or, you know, being involved in that stuff, that I could not be the best Christian that I could be for the Lord. And I'm one of those people that if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it 110%. That's, I've always been that way. I mean, you can, you can ask my mom. So yeah, that's what it's all about for me. I think that's a good wrap on things. You know, we could talk about other passages and, and we have only scratched the surface of what the Bible has to say on the subject of alcohol. So again, I'll just redirect you. Um, this book that was just published, uh, a brother in the church, Trevor Calvert just helped write the content with me. And if you'd like to know more of the common arguments and common uh, things that get brought up in this discussion, uh, maybe you have passages that are coming to your head and you're like, well, I didn't talk about this. And, uh, you know, maybe this actually justifies me popping a six pack, you know, on Saturday night. 
reach out, submit those passages, submit those ideas, thoughts, questions, arguments, um, and we'll address those. And But uh, as far as this episode, this uh, discussion with uh, Chance, we're going to call that a wrap. And I'll let Chance here um, give us any parting words, anything that you'd like to leave the people with. Yeah, I guess if I had to sum it up, I think I would just encourage everybody to read their Bible. Read the Bible for yourself. I mean, because you don't really know what it says until you sit down and read it. And for me, that was a big thing. You know, I'd just been kind of believing what everybody had been telling me for a long time. I had never actually even opened a Bible and looked at it. And my perspective changed a whole lot when I started sitting down and actually reading it for myself. Um, so I just think, want to encourage everybody to do that. You know, I love y'all. God bless. Read your Bible and follow Five Minute Bible Study. That's two things you need to do. <laughs> so it was good to have you on today, Chance, and I'm sure we'll have you on more in the future. Yeah, man. Thanks. It's It's been an honor. Y'all go follow Five Minute Bible Study. Earlier this year, I held a meeting in Brookhaven, Mississippi. I don't mind naming the congregation. Um, they won't care. And so as I was out there, I was preaching, and it seemed like every single night of the meeting that I was preaching, I said something that put my foot in my mouth. And the one story that I want to share with you from that uh, weekend is the one where I made fun of their accents. Everybody out there had a very thick, I mean, very thick accents in Brookhaven, Mississippi. And where I live in uh, around Summertown, Tennessee, everybody has pretty good accents around these parts. But, I mean, it just doesn't hold a flame to Brookhaven, Mississippi. I told the same joke back at Chapel Grove Congregation where I preach, and everybody thought it was funny. Well, at least some people thought it was funny. I don't know about everybody. But I was preaching about Moses, how Moses at the burning bush passage, and God's telling him to go to Egypt and speak to Pharaoh, and Moses is trying to come up with every reason in the book of why not to go. And he tells God, but Lord, I'm not eloquent of speech. And so I was trying to explain what, why Moses would say that and what he meant. And uh, so it had been told to me before by a preacher, and I really like this interpretation, and I'm just sticking with it, that you know Moses had been raised in the finest schools of Egypt and all that, and it wasn't that he wasn't educated. Probably he had lived 40 years in this wilderness with the Midianites, and he probably had gotten a kind of a, a southern drawl, as we would call it, or just an accent, you know? And he would sound like a country bumpkin when he goes back to Egypt. And he's like, Lord, I'm not eloquent. I said, um, <laughs> I said, I looked at this audience, I said, it's like you guys. People up north think that you're stupid because of your accent. And I said, it's true. They think that you're dumb. Now, you're not dumb, but they think you are dumb. And I looked out there, you know, the first time I told this joke back at Chapel Grove, people laughed and, you know, they smiled and they were like, okay, yeah, we get that. That could be the case. I look out here and nobody's smiling. I mean, there wasn't a, a smile in the whole place. And I was like, okay. So uh, I took, just chalked that one up as a loss. I was like, okay, well, either they really don't have a sense of humor here or that just, um, maybe I need to drop that one from my repertoire. But anyways, I th it was pretty funny in the moment. Um, I told it a few people later, and, and they thought it was funny, so I thought I'd share it with you guys today. I'll share more foot and mouth syndromes with you as we go along and try to create a few in the process. Well, that's all I got for you today in this third episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If, again, if you have questions about the Q&A segment or any part of the show or you want to submit questions for the podcast, 
for future episodes, then just reach out. I, again, I pray that this resource is helpful to you and is bringing glory to God in the process. And maybe we can get a chuckle or two uh, at the end of the day. Have a great day, and we'll see you next time on the 5-Minute Bible Study Podcast Network.